Good morning. Okay, well, it, I, we're going to go back into the, the sermon here in a minute. We're going to kind of con continue from where we were last week. I know some of you were here last week and some of you weren't, but something occurred to me. And if you think about kind of the sermon last week, it was paradoxical commandments, you know, statements that don't necessarily make sense. Well, anybody who, I, I, anybody who should know a little bit about this is anybody that has to deal with the public on a regular basis, yes? Okay, well, we have a woman in our midst today that I believe deserves a little bit of recognition right here, Erica. And this woman survived the, the, the yesterday she survived the sale of, of several thousand candles. I could not believe, well, anyway, I think she deserves a little round of applause <laughs> for, for being able to put up with that much humankind in one day. I think she should probably be preaching this sermon. All right, here we go. Um, I want to introduce you to a fellow right here, and his name is Kent Keith. Kent Keith wrote these paradoxical commandments in 1968 when he was a, Har uh, a sophomore at Harvard University. He wrote these commandments for student leaders, basically for those who were in high school, because he was trying to help them become uh, better leaders. Now, what he wrote, they're called a paradox. So uh, I figure I, I'm going to ride this as long as I possibly can and get as much mileage out of it as I can, and you're not laughing any harder today than you were last week. This reminds me of a, of a kid in class one day. The kid in class, he said, Mr. Day, why do you tell so many corny jokes? And I said, son, you have to realize it's not you I'm worried about entertaining. <laughs> so what is, hey, what is a paradox? Well, we defined a paradox. And a paradox, and I'm going pretty quickly today because, right now, because I covered this last week. But a paradox is a seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement or proposition that when investigated or explained may prove to be well-founded or true. So, so a self-contradictory statement that might seem absurd at its face value. So I think the quickest way to really explain what that is is just simply to look at one. So let's look at one. People are illogical, unreasonable, and self-centered. Love them anyway. And this is exactly why I thought about you. All right? Anybody who has to deal with the public, and I mean, it, 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 is, it is beyond, I don't know. Sometimes you see people behave in certain ways. Come on, how many of you in here would say that you've been somewhere in a particular setting and you watched people behave and you could not believe the way they were behaving? Raise your hand if you've seen that. All right, yeah. I, I won't ask if it was you. All right. What about another uh, paradoxical commandment? Well, here's another one, and it says, If you do good, people will accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Do good anyway. Now, we're going to start right here today, because I mentioned someone um, in my sermon last week, just very briefly, but I mentioned this woman right here. Okay? Now, I understand that we're not Catholic, but I will tell you this, that does not erase the good that this woman did in her lifetime. Who is this woman? Now, you know what's kind of funny? You know, I realized something um, when I was putting this sermon together uh, this week. 
I realized that um, she um, lived, uh, she was born in 1910. She was born in 1910, and she died uh, in 1997. And the, the thought occurred to me that this is a figure that in my formative years, you know, when I was young, I obviously heard her name mentioned, but it dawned on me that somebody, you know, like Claire, for instance, right here, or some Maddox or some of, these, some of these younger folks that are in here may have never even seen a picture of this woman or might not have ever even heard of her. How many of you in here would say, you don't have to give me a show of hands, but how many of you in here would say that every time you've ever heard her name mentioned over the years, it was mentioned in a good way, in a selfless way, in a kind way? Well, here we go. It might interest you that Mother Teresa experienced her call within a call in 1946. Her order established a hospice centers for the blind, aged and disabled, and a leper colony. Wow, a leper colony. In 1979, Mother Teresa received the Nobel Peace Prize for her humanitarian work. Now, there's a reason why I want to mention this, and there's a reason why I mentioned her last week in my sermon right here at this juncture, and here's the reason why I mentioned her, because you can do good, you can spend your whole life trying to do good, and you will still be the recipient of criticism. Now, I want you to try this on for size, and I want you to think about this. I want you to think about one of the criticisms that was levied at Mother Teresa. One of the criticisms that was, that was levied towards her, get this, was that she was trying to convert people. Now I want you to think about that. Matthew chapter 28, right at the end of the chapter. Go ye therefore into all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey every commandment that I have given you. And lo, I am with you to the very end of the age. Who said that? Jesus Christ. What is that known as? It is known as the great what? It is known as the great commission, and it is the job of every single Christian. Now wait just a minute. If you go to the book of John, Jesus says... I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. You had a woman who spent her entire life selflessly working for the benefit of others, and not only did she selflessly work for the benefit of others, she wanted to save their souls in the process. And she was criticized for that. Now, why do I bring that up? Well, I bring that up because the paradoxical commandment is what? If you do good, people will accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Do good anyway. My suggestion to you and for every single person in here, and I'm going to tell you, here it is. I had a discussion with one of my classes the other day. And here's what I told them. I told them that you need to find a reason for doing good that does not involve Mr. Day. 
your reason for doing the best you can on your homework or the best you can on your test is not so you can get some points. It's not so you can make Mr. Day happy. Mr. Day should fall pretty low on your list of reasons for doing well. We do not serve man. I know we do. We serve God. Now, how in the world, Penn, so was it this paradoxical commandment, if you do good, people will accuse you of selfish ulterior motives, do good anyway? That's why you thought about Mother Teresa? No, that's actually not why I thought about Mother Teresa. Uh, although in 1979 she received the Nobel Peace Prize for her humanitarian work, and I don't think we should ever overlook that. So why did you think about her then? Well, it's very simple. There was a book written about her, Mother Teresa, The Simple Path. She had the paradoxical commandments on the wall of her children's home in Calcutta. Now, I personally, I personally thought that was very, very interesting. Here is a very hard-working, righteous woman who spent her life dedicated to trying to help people, and she found these very items that we're looking at kind of noteworthy, that perhaps the statements in themselves were actually pretty good ways to try to live your life. And we're going to come back to that at the end of the sermon. We're going to come back to that at the end of the sermon. But while I was here... I want to point something out. I recently read a note about criticism. And the note that I read about criticism was this. Often those that criticize others reveal what they themselves lack. And I want you to think about that. Often those that criticize others reveal what they themselves lack. Look at this next slide, if you would. Because I really thought that it was a pretty poignant slide. I think sometimes we forget something. And I don't know what all you're going to take from today's sermon and what you're not going to take from today's sermon. But I'd like for you to look at this slide, and I would like for you to consider something. I would like for every single person in this room, including myself, to consider that our words can be very, very good, uplifting, building, edifying. And our words can be just like bullets that go straight to somebody's heart. You know, the interesting thing, there's more than one way to get to Bloomington. Oftentimes, there's more than one way to do things. And oftentimes, some of the things, if we're not careful, that we criticize don't amount to anything. It's kind of funny, because on Wednesday night, 
we're, we've started just kind of a fun little Bible study for a few weeks, and we're going to study just a little bit about Andy Griffith and, and look at the, at the uh, application of maybe one of the shows to life. And we had kind of some fun with it last Wednesday night. But I want everybody to hold on and hold on to the edge of your seat, and you can all let out a gasp at once. Are you ready? We moved the seats in the adult classroom. I didn't, no thunder, <laughs> no lightning. The good you do today will be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. How many of you in here, and, and once again, this is kind of, how many of you in here have ever seen the Rocky Mountains? How many of you in here have been down to Tennessee? and you've seen the Smoky Mountains, okay? How many of you in here have seen the vapor rising off of the mountains? Well, here you go. I'm going to move back here for now because, because it turns out that a member of our congregation wrote a very, very poignant poem. Take a look at the screen, if you would. Life is but a vapor. In a whisper, it will be gone. So use it well, leaving behind something remembered, something kind. An epitaph that will live on in others who hearken to your song. Let your vapor be an incense sweet that lighted the way for weary feet. Now, I'm going to come up here for just a second, and I'm going to tell you why. Because here it is. What I really like, and I know I like the whole poem, but I really, really like this line. I like this line. In others who hearken to your song. In others who hearken to your song. Do you remember me telling you last week that good can persist? Good can live on. In others who hearken to your song. What else? Preserving in others faith that lives on. Planted within them a hopeful new song. Life is but a vapor at dawn. A mist dissolved by the morning sun. So use it well and leave behind something good, something kind. Will the final song be bereft, a lament? Or will it be one of joyful ascent? Knowing the vapor rose to live on, in realms of wonder to live beyond, leaving behind a fragrant bouquet, scented in others, your legacy. Life is a vapor, a mist at early morn, leaving behind just an essence of your heart song. Let it be something in others that lives on with time, something hopeful, something kind. Oh, imagine that. What is your life? Are you a mist that appears a little while? and then vanishes. 
Look at that, those last two lines right there. Leaving behind a fragrant bouquet scented in others, your legacy. How many of you in here hope, and I'm being totally honest, and you don't have to give me a show of hands, I'm just asking, how many of you in here truly hope that you live a life that one day when your time is over, you will have influenced someone in a positive way and they will take that positive whatever it is and pass it on. And you're going to do that. Listen, you're going to do that. And I appreciated your comments a while ago because obviously he, he came up and he said, I appreciate being here. He said, it's hard to believe, but we've been here five years already. Okay. It's hard to believe. It's hard to believe that I have a 23-year-old who's going to graduate from IU and a daughter who's going to be a junior at USI. It's hard to believe that I've been married. You know, Jamie says I like to round up, so I'm going to round a little bit. It's hard to believe I've been married for close to 30 years. It's hard to believe that, you know, I turn around and, 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 and you know, obviously uh, I'm a middle-aged guy now. It's hard to believe. It's hard to believe for me that it's already been a year. Life is a vapor. It appears for a short while and then vanishes away. The good you do today, the good, you know, it, it says the, the, the paradoxical commandment is, is that here you are, you're doing good, and it may very well be forgotten. But here's what I want to give to you. I, I don't think it matters if it's forgotten. Who was the minister here 50 years ago? Boy, you all jumped on that one. <laughs> when Papa Craig and I would talk about property, I would always say, hey, that's where the Johnson farm is, and Papa would say, you mean the old Miller place? And I'd be like, yeah, whatever. One of these days, every single one of us are going to be forgotten, but the good that we do can persist. It becomes our legacy. It becomes the fragrant bouquet, especially you parents, especially you grandparents. Listen, I'm going to tell you right now, we have been very fortunate as parents because not only have we, have we tried to parent, but we've also had good grandparents. We've been very fortunate. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. I thank God for the people that I've gone to church with for the past 25 years because not only have they enriched my life they have enriched the life of my children that's a that's an awesome poem Sharon I, I, I want to tell you I've read a lot of your poems and swim the free-range chicken was funny but I think this one's probably better let's pray Heavenly Father, I pray today that as we go through, that we not minimize the idea that we were called to live differently. That, Heavenly Father, we are okay with thinking about these items that don't make sense to the world, but yet they make perfect sense to us. They make sense to us because we realize that you want us to live 
as Christ lived, selflessly, that you want us to help others just like Christ helped others. That, Heavenly Father, what is a seeming paradox to people in the world makes perfect sense to us. Now, I know it's not easy, God. I, I, there's a difference between ease and application. But, Heavenly Father, help us to apply principles that seemingly don't make sense in a world that sometimes seemingly doesn't make sense so that we may, as Sharon says, leave a fragrant, fragrant offering in the bouquet of others. What a poignant statement, God. Because we want others to flower. We want them to bloom. We want them to bear fruit. And we want to have some small part in that, if at all possible. Help us to consider this today, Lord, as we look at what is called the paradoxical commandments and how they relate to your word. We thank you, Lord, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, what about a new one? Okay, I'm, and I'm not going to throw, listen, I'm going to throw two or three new ones at you today, and then I'm going to conclude, and I'm not going to talk about these anymore, and I'm probably not going to cover all ten of them. But I do think they're kind of interesting. Look at this one right here. It says, the biggest men and women with the biggest ideas can be shot down by the smallest men and women with the smallest minds. But what does he say? Think what? Think big anyway. I want to show you something. Look at this passage right here. This is Jesus Christ in Acts 1. He's being quoted, and it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. And look at what it says right here at the end. And to the end of the earth. And to the end of the earth. To the very ends of the earth. You know what I think? I'll tell you what I think. I think Jesus Christ was a big thinker. That's exactly what I think. I think that Jesus Christ was a big thinker. How many of you in here have heard the story of Nehemiah? Nehemiah came in, and he wanted to go back to his country, and he wanted to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. It took him 52 days to rebuild that wall. But check it out. You'll like this. Sanballat. What did Sanballat have to say while they were doing the work? Look up here at the screen. What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble? And you know what? I'm sure he wasn't really saying it like that. I'm sure it was the oh, na 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 na. I'm sure he was saying, come on, feeble Jews. You're going to bring those stones back to life? Are you telling me that you're going to be able to do this? Are you, you really think a, a fox could jump up on that wall and knock it over? And what did Nehemiah say? I think Nehemiah said, yes. We can do it. Come on. Do you want church leaders 
So it was mentioned earlier in a prayer that you have church leaders. What kind, of, what kind of church leaders do you want? I mean, seriously, what kind of church leaders do you want? Do you want church leaders that are big thinkers, or do you want church leaders that are little thinkers? Do you want church leaders that are, that are stuck in the whatever, or do you want church leaders that are willing to use the power of the Holy Spirit and, and think? What do you want from your ministers? Hey, how about, come on, take a guy like John here. John being over a school. What's John supposed to be? Is he supposed to be a little thinker, or is he supposed to be a big thinker? Come on, how many of you in here are sports fans? For those of you in here that are sports fans, I watched a little bit of a football game the other night between Dallas and, and the Bears, and it was all over Sports Center before that game came on about how important this game was. Well, okay, so if they shot a little video of the Dallas Cowboys coach in the locker room before the game, would he be going like this? Would he be like, all right, guys. I hope you play hard tonight. I think if we really try, we can win. I think we got to be big thinkers. I think Jesus Christ was a big thinker. I don't think there's anything wrong with big thinking. How about this one? I thought you might get a chuckle. The next one is the next one is is about top dogs. And it can't be dogs, it's dogs. It's about top dogs. And here's what it says. It says, people favor underdogs, but follow only top dogs. Fight for a few underdogs anyway. And I think this one is huge. I think this one is huge. And I'll tell you why I think this one is huge. Look at this scripture. Look at this scripture right here. It says, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows and their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Pure religion, pure religion and undefiled before God is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows and their affliction. To visit the fatherless and the widows and their affliction. Why do you think that is pure religion? I'll tell you why it's pure religion, because what would you say about the widowed? What would you say about those who are fatherless? What would you say about those who do not have a voice of their own? God didn't pick the warrior. He didn't say, he didn't say pure religion is this, go to the warriors. He said pure religion is this. Go to those who cannot speak for themselves, who cannot defend themselves, who may be weaker than others, and take care of them. Take care of them. Life isn't just about following the top dogs. It's about fighting for the underdogs. Look at what it says in Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31 says, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. What you spend years building may be destroyed overnight. Build anyway. I got a question for you because I thought this would be kind of poignant. 
And I know for a fact that I can speak for some people. Now, I can't speak for everybody, but I can speak for some people. I can speak for Gerald right here. Because this summer, Gerald said, hey, we'd like for you to come to, what was the name, and I'm, gonna sh I'm sorry, Gerald, because I don't remember the name of the church. What was the name of the church? Where did we go this summer? What? Okay, Crossroads Church of Christ, which is like a hundred and how many years old? Well over probably 120 some. All right, and then as soon as we had church in this little country church, we drove to the end of the lane. And when we drove to the end of the lane, they had a family get-together, and they had some hamburgers, hot dogs, stuff like that, and it was the moon home place. How many of you in here have a family home place? How many of you in here that have a ha family home place it looks just as pristine as it looked back when it was built. Look at this picture right here. Because maybe you don't have a home place. Maybe you don't have, you know, Greg lives on a property that has been in the family for over 150 years, yes? When we grew up, when we grew up, Mamaw and Papaw lived in one house, but there was a house over in the pasture. What do you think it was called? Come on, what do you think it was called? The old house. Now, if I'm not mistaken, you lived in that old house for a little while, didn't you? That's because she's like 110. <laughs> she looks good for 110. <laughs> You know what? The old house isn't there now. I'll tell you something interesting about that old house. We might not want told, or, or, or Greg might not want this told, but I think a little, I think a little uh, moonshine was cooked in that old house, too. <laughs> we got some revenues in our background. Hey, what you spend years building, according to this, it's not, it, it's not going to last. You know, it, these old home places, and this should resonate with some of you in here, because some of you in here, you, you have old home places, or you've been to an old home place. Well, the fact of the matter is, it doesn't even have to be an old home place. I don't think this pe these people right here, that, that house is significantly nicer than mine, and uh, I don't think they expected it to get hit by a tornado. Yeah? So even though that's not an old home place, I don't think these people expected it to be damaged or whatever the case may be. And what does this say? What you spend years building may be destroyed overnight. Build anyway. But I don't think that's really what we're talking about here. And I think you know that. We're really not talking about, we're really not talking about a structure made of stone and, and wood and nails and things like that. We're talking about building. We're talking about your faith. We're talking about what you put out there. Hey, I'm going to tell you something right now. And, and you know this and you're intuitive and you're smart enough to know this. If you really work and you really put yourself out there and you try to do the best you can for mankind, there are going to be people that are going to like you and there are going to be people that are going to dislike you. There are going to be people that are going to like your style. There are going to be people that don't like your style. There are going to be people that think you're good. There are going to be people that think you aren't. There are going to be people that think you're building a mansion. There are going to be other people that think you're living in a teepee. That doesn't change the fact that we do what we do because it's the right thing to do. The scripture says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, 
and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt. This house is not going to last forever. This house is not going to last forever. Hey, this house, look, this temple is not going to last forever. And this is part of what I'm trying to convey today, and I think it's part of what the paradoxical commandments try to convey. They try to convey that we live our life in such a way that we are pleasing to God because we're not really serving men, we're doing the best we can to serve God. And when we do the best we can to serve God we will benefit man. Does that make sense? And what did the Gatlin boys tell you? What? And all the gold in California Because everything that glitters is not what, my friends? Everything that glitters is not gold. And I'm going to tell you, this comes from, how many of you in here, some of you will appreciate this, and some of you will have absolutely no idea what I'm about to say. But how many of you in here know who, know, have ever watched VeggieTales? Okay, then how many of you in here that have watched VeggieTales are familiar with Madame Blueberry? Well, those of you that are familiar with Madame Blueberry, you are looking at Madame Blueberry in the flesh right here. My wife would tell you if she was here, she's not feeling good today, but if she was here, she would say, Amen, brother, he's a Madam Blueberry, and his treehouse sometimes is getting awfully close to breaking off. Now, some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Madam Blueberry was way too hung up on physical possessions. What was the next item that she wanted? What was the next item? Because, and by the way, she didn't go to Walmart, she went to Stuff Mart. Okay, well, here it is. I think as much as anything, if you are willing to think about this any at all, and I hope that you are, but if you're willing to think about it any at all, it's just the idea that really we live our lives differently, although sometimes if we're not careful, hey, I think we forget. I think we forget that we're supposed to live our lives differently. And maybe there's no harm in being reminded now, I'm going to skip ahead for a minute because we're right here, and this is kind of, this is where I want to close. And I don't know if you've ever seen it or not, but I'll tell you where this comes from. It's just very simple. Tom Hanks was in a movie, and the movie that Tom Hanks was in was called The Green Mile. And in The Green Mile, Tom Hanks was over the guards, and here it is. They were over death row. They were in a penitentiary, and they were over death row. Now, I'm going to be perfectly 100% honest with you. I watched this film probably two or three times before I ever even questioned what the Green Mile was. And that's the name of the movie. The name of the movie is The Green Mile. Well, in the movie, here it is, there's a hallway. So there's a hallway going from point A to point B. Well, what was point B? Point B was the executioner's room. 
And the idea behind the movie was that at some point, every single one of these inmates on death row were going to walk the what? They were going to walk the green mile. Now, it's funny, listen to this, because there's an alternate definition to the green mile. And the alternate definition is heading towards the inevitable. Heading towards the inevitable. It's funny because Scott Norman, a man that I hold, he, he, he passed away. He was one of my elders, a man that I hold in tremendously high regard, would often tell me that I was still wet behind the ears. He told me that on many occasions. Oh, you're still wet behind the ears. But all of a sudden, I turned around, and, and, and I'm 50 years old, and, and I, I, I noticed the other night we were in town, and I've got an eye doctor appointment tomorrow because I can't see as well as I could. I was walking up a hill coming out of the woods this fall, and I, I had to stop. I'd never had to stop walking up that hill before. Yeah? My daughter, I told you about the text that she sent me not long ago. I sent her a hello text, and she said, boy, you got a lot of white in your beard. I think I've lived enough life at this point to have a couple of observations. And I'm not trying to end this sermon on a solemn note, but at the same time, I'm going to say this. We're all going to walk the green mile. When we get to the end of the green mile, do we want God to look at us and say, you lived your life like everybody else in the world, or do we want God to look at us and say, you know what, you lived a seeming paradox. You lived a seeming paradox. The world told you one thing, but you said, no, this is the way it really ought to be. And then imagine these words. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter in to your rest. At that moment, you know what I think? I think living the paradox will have been totally worth it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for letting us be here today. And Heavenly Father, I am thankful that we realize that we are to live differently. But Heavenly Father, I think my prayer today is that realizing that and doing it are two totally different things. 
a realization of something doesn't necessarily mean that we're putting it into practice. I pray that we not only realize, but that we put into practice what seemingly doesn't make sense to the rest of the world, yet makes perfect sense to you. I pray that we become a living paradox and that those around us will see it and that we will leave within them a lasting legacy that will persist forever. I thank you, Lord, and I love you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand.